Live from Washington, D.C., it's Quintessential Listening, Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. My special guest is Nama Shemshaw. She is a British-Moroccan, a self-taught writer and poet. Her writing is influenced by her cultural duality. She's interested in female voices in the diaspora community, the challenges they face within both communities, and the taboos around mental health within their ancestral communities. Her published poetry collection, COVID, The Wordy Walls of a Mind Under Lockdown, is available now for purchase. Name a welcome to the program. Hello, thank you for having me. Well, let's talk about poetry. Yes, please. Let's begin by focusing on your book, COVID, The Wordy Walls of a Mind Under Lockdown. What inspired it? Oh, gosh, what inspired it? I started writing again during lockdown, and I submitted some poems into a few poetry competitions, and then I thought no more of it. I was approached by a press who said they'd seen one of the poems I'd submitted and would be interested in publishing a collection. Lockdown was hard on morale and on our emotions and writing for me provided me an invaluable therapy in dealing with those stresses. I think once I had 3000 words, I submitted the manuscript only to find out that it was just a vanity press trying to get 3000 pounds out of me. Yes. But you know what it is, I had the completed manuscript. So I just started submitting to anybody and anyone who accepted unsolicited manuscripts. So I guess the inspiration may have been someone saw some of my work and wanted to see more. I didn't know at the time that the interest was purely for profit, but the offer itself, I think, spurred me on to write the collection. Now, the title itself, COVID, (laughs) the wordy walls of a mind under lockdown. Tell me about the title. The title refers to the shared experience of COVID since being under lockdown was a global experience. It's not something that some people experienced and some didn't. Everybody was under lockdown. And the title refers to those moments when our thoughts inundate us and we allow ourselves to get lost in those thoughts. And, you know, you're wading through those thoughts can sometimes feel like venturing into the wildlands of the mind. And it called to mind the children's book, Where the Wild Things Are, because, you know, oftentimes our monsters are in our minds. Yes, so true. Our monsters are in our minds. In terms of the book's predominant themes, monsters, what else? Racism, feminism, duality, cultural belonging. Tell me about the cover. I wanted the cover to reflect the themes in the book. You have the face mask in reference to COVID and lockdown and the and of Fatima eyes is a reference to the cultural themes, but also as the all seeing eye that wards off ill intent. And then finally, the design on the mask, which kind of hints at two hands over the mouth. I, I wanted that to kind of reflect the silencing of female voices in certain cultures and communities. 
Would you please share a poem? Yes, I'd love to. No filter. This is me. Here I sit, growing into my own shadow, accepting my invisibility, rebuking my fragility. Am I irrelevant, wearing my wrinkles as a cloth and ashes? Should I reinvent myself for the applause of the social media masses? Quit, twittering on Twitter, showcasing shells on Insta, scrolling and trolling, affecting personas on FB, a photoshopping melee, a veil of airbrush sadness. I need more because I am less, filtering faces and not words, subsisting on praises, captive in light cages, the eyes that don't see me, the ears that don't hear me. Should I put on my filter and dance to the hollow beat of a digital trance, a pound of flesh under the knife, erasing evidence of a lived life, fattening up my lips and arse, a fatted calf as a stranger berates me in the looking glass. Are my eyebrows on fleek? Am I scathingly savage enough? Am I too woke or not enough? I log in and await your critique. Let's celebrate the cover and not the book. Post the pick as the panel rates you. Have an opinion and we hate you. Immersing ourselves in the virtual brook. I have wandered the London streets, donning my expiry as an invisibility cloak. As the gaze of the lit quickly retreats before dissolving into the city's big smoke. I have sat with Elliot as we shared despair of the worn shared niceties over tea and cakes and ices, exchanging troughs and peaks as we laughed and cried, bitching with Bukowski, waving to Sylvia as we died inside. Empty voices filling the space with speech, their flawless faces behind a screen, me out of touch, them out of reach. The reality in the virtual scheme, I have haunted a void in between. Should I question the truth, us believing the lie? The hordes flock to TikTok, famous for 15 minutes. To shock, to rock, to mock, to exhibit without limits. But I am old. And the light in their eyes has died. Thank you. Thank you. How did you decide which poems to choose for the collection? It was difficult. I shared the collection with my sister and with some of my friends who enjoy literature. Mm -hmm. And then I asked them to name the poems they felt had the most impact. So I used their choices as a framework, but then I also kept some that were close to my heart. So in terms of organizing them, are there sections? Tell me more. There was no real strategy other than of making sure that each following poem 
covered a different theme to its predecessor. I know that your book is a cultural fusion in terms of the, the vastness of the different topics that you write about. Is there one topic that you're most passionate about? Maybe that sense of reconnecting with our, our fellow man, whereas the world we live in the world today often feels that we are often very disconnected from one another. It feels very fractured. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, it, you know, it just feels like there is always conflict. Neymar, please share another poll. Certainly. Limbo, Africa calling, a convoy in the shadows, constant and ever-present, a home but not a home, anointing my edges, still I fit nowhere, here my name is foreign, my appearance questioned, but where are you from originally, probes Goldilocks, cornfields in her hair. I have reconciled with the damp dark streets, pierced by dimples of obtrusive artificial light, illuminating an artificial pond, the sleazy sullied snickers of bawdry backstreet jokes, the women who reject gazing at the floor, audaciously holding the stones, jangle of life, the busy lives of others filtering its wildly in the in the darkened alcoves and desolate cubicles of existence, Sartre echoes, you are in bad company. The tattering coffee shops amid sips of acrid arabica, the inane monologues on current affairs, clandestine consultations, a temporary respite, soaked in caffeine and butter pastries, London calling, cosmopolitan and enthralling. It is the home of a lodger, the key to the kingdom presenting the illusion of belonging without belonging, the solitude as natural as blinking. There, my name is familiar, my appearance fusing with the dry alleyways and whitewashed facades, facing off a fierce sun in the hot, hot pavement cafes, the once Ginsberg and Jean Genet on mint tea. Tolerance is privately practiced, but never publicly preached. The lamb and cumin infused air that coils and slithers before reclining across your skin like an impermeable veil. The language of my ancestors tinged with my Britishness. My speech fluent, yet betraying, as wide-eyed locals chuckle like a pacifying parent. You're not from here, are you? In the Medinas, the night sky turns down the heat as families parade in their best attire. Sunflower seeds whose saltiness fizzes on the tongue. Sugar-roasted peanuts washed down with canary iced lemonade. The men who gawk belligerently, their eyes betraying the indignity of a shameless woman who refuses to look away. 
the crested clay tagines, joyously bubbling away, terracotta fat jolly uncles, the enticing wisp of flavour, the fragrance of l'enfance, the gnawa drumbeat, a throbbing pulse, dancing, chanting, healing, a portal to the beloved on the wings of a trance, a cultural hub that captivates and offends, a shared identity, an organic pond rich with community, kindness, love, support, to serve is to be with Allah. The allotted roles deeming marriage and its fruits, paragon of ambition, gender hindered, scornful eyes from the arbiters of decency as I light my cigarette. I am without decency and without God, casting off the shackles of both, the dogma of belief or illusion in the clutches of tradition, bleeding the queeved injury, spurred on by my scars. You're not from here, are you? The cross of the diaspora, life's longing for the other, eat soup, offering some comfort, but ill-fitting nonetheless. Thank you. That was extremely powerful. Thank Do you. you see yourself as more of a storyteller or wordsmith? Gosh, <laughs> maybe I like to think that I'm a little bit of both, that I take the reader on a journey and I create, I try to create visual imagery with the words. Please share with me the titles of five of the poems in the book. Okay. Yes. On the Grind, Mama's Welcome, The Imposter, I Am Not Berber, Where the Birds Don't Fly. The poem, The Imposter, I'd like you to read that piece if you don't mind. Sure. The imposter. In the rooms that twinkle with crystal and opulence, the women with Modigliani necks, bejeweled and bedecked, talking about young skin, exercise, nutrition, of flamboyant designers, fashionably Parisian, camouflage, complacent opulence. Men in Armani suits and Swiss watches, consuming business with malt whiskey, antidotes of St. Maurice and Afreski, an arcade of silver spoon swatches, a spectre occupying the void in hand-me-downs and Primark shoes, a day tripper just passing through, the type you usually avoid. Hair brittle and untamed, face conveying time's inflictions, no Botox or filler injections, expression caged and contained. The Cheshire cats who smile sweetly, tiptoeing around class discreetly, a barrage of plummeting playing cards, 
as the queen haughtily stands guard, I inhabit my place completely. The advantage advancing out of isolation, the fortunes that swell with predation, I am the stranger in my lady's chamber. Thank you. The reason that I asked for that particular piece, it was the title. I've felt like an imposter so many times as I've attempted to climb the ladder of success, whatever that is. So that's why titling a poem is so important. So what do you consider when you're titling a poem? I, I write the poem first always. And I think that I always feel like the title should reflect the, uh, the poem or at least but, but not give too much away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I could write a love poem and just go for something very typical or, or that would pretty much give away everything that the poem is about. But I like to give maybe like a short, maybe two or three words. Sometimes it's just one word, but it, it hints uh, the, what inspired the poem. All right. So when you write, do you lead? Or does the poem lead you? Oh, gosh. I, I always feel like a poem leads me. I would get the strand of a poem, maybe a sentence or two, maybe even a stanza, but I never know where the poem itself is going or what themes it might explore. I just simply follow the strand of thought and endeavour to formulate that flow into words which are able to capture the emotional essence of that thought. Mm -hmm. Your poems, as I've had an opportunity to listen to you share your work, are very intricate, as well as epic. How long does it take you to complete a poem? I mean, it varies. I think often it doesn't take me very long. If I get the strand of a poem, say, early in the day, probably by the evening I would have finished it, or maybe I might it'll be an all-nighter where I will be tortured by that piece and, I'll, and I won't go to bed until about like 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning when I finally finished it. But even then, I will go back to it the next day. They say that <laughs> poets have words that they use quite often. What are three of your favorite words to use? I think I use soul because I, I like to capture sometimes experiences that we feel deep within our souls. So I think soul would be a word that I use. I think maybe rejoice is a word that I've also used. And I think definitely time, because I suppose a woman at my stage of life, we are able to appreciate the value of time and what we've been through to get here. Yes, yes. Do you plan each line of the poem before you write it? Or do the words just come as you write? I would probably hear them in my mind several times and I would repeat them over again and I may change the sequence or the order of the words. And then I will write it down once I've got maybe a stanza in my head. And then I will write it down and then carry on thinking about it for the rest of the day until the rest of it comes to me. All right. Do you write primarily in the morning, in the evening? Is there a certain time of the day that you write? No, I'm, unfortunately not, because I'm a slave to inspiration, unfortunately. So sometimes 
It could be that I may get inspired by a couple of lines or whatever early in the morning, which gives me the whole day to work on it. Other times, there, there are crazy times, which I'm sure you probably know this as a writer, where then it's sort of one o'clock in the morning and then you suddenly get the thread of a poem and you're like, oh my God, I have to write this down, otherwise I'm going to forget it in the morning. As you think about being a poet, what are some of the common misconceptions about poets or poetry you've encountered throughout your time writing poetry? What misconceptions about poets? I think the misconception is like, it's just a, a bunch of angsty, tortured people expressing themselves. But no, it is taking the human emotion and in relation to the human experience and making it understandable and relatable to others so that people anywhere in the world might be able to read your book and think, you know what, I totally get what the writer is trying to say and I connect with that and I'm not alone in this experience. One of the things that people talk about so often is accessibility. Do you think that you need to figure out the meaning of a poem or should it just be felt? My own personal experience is I just feel it, to be honest. I feel it and I write it down. And then with the edit, I figure it out. That's the second part. But it always the first part is the feeling part. Please share another piece. Sure. on the grind. Dressed in the threads of adulthood, forging the bonds that bind, together in troubled times, when you can't see past the wood, harvesting and investing, delayed gratification, grafting out of your station, loosely tied without digesting. Dreams of someday, get your foot on the property ladder, save on indulgences and work harder, all work and no play. Put in the hours for rise, a promotional bonus for Jack, greasing the cogs to pick up the slack, strangled by the tie that ties. Grind your bones to make his bread, in a suit suited for ambition, Silence mental health attrition. There is no success for the dead. Sacrifice for the future. Feather your pension to cushion the blow. Retire abroad in a rustic chateau. Ida down with a stupor. A partner to shoulder the burden. A mortgage to swallow your labor. Life's force fueling the conveyor. Together picking out curtains. Thank you. Mm, beautiful. Thank you. Naima, one question that I'd like to ask is, do you live your life like it's a poem? Gosh, do I live my life like a poem? <laughs> do I live it as in, do I feel it and breathe it and completely inhabit the moments that life presents to me, then yes, absolutely. I receive people with complete and emotional honesty. And, and I think people get that 
from me. And, and maybe it puts them at ease because I think you should receive each other always with kindness and patience. It's what helps keep, keep the, uh, us in motion. I agree. Are you hoping that the book resonates with a broad range of readers or reach a target audience? No, I, I hope it will resonate with a broad range of people because it offers an emotional inroad into a, a shared and global experience as seen through duality's lens. It will resonate with people from across the diaspora community, but also for non-diaspora communities because it offers an insight and understanding into how such communities experience the world. And are we not better and stronger when we endeavor to understand the experiences of our fellow human beings? Mm. May in the United States is National Mental Health Awareness Month. So when we think about poetry being therapeutic, what else comes to mind for you? I think it is, it's therapeutic, but it's also expressive and it's beautiful and it, and the flow of the words, is, it, it just captures the soul and it, it actually soothes. Please share another piece. Sure. Since we were talking about mental health, I'll share a piece that I did about mental health. Right. Mapping the void. It is strange that one should feel so empty when the anatomy is stacked with life-enabling components. Where does one find the emptiness? Does it reside in the chambers of the heart, expanding with each flight until the scenes tear apart? Maybe in the lungs, the bronchioles, squeezing out breath as you gasp and wheeze. Perhaps in the mind, laying waste the limbic aisles, extinguishing sparks of hope as you wade through the dark. Where emptiness finds a home, a thirsty drop trickling into the briny deep, swaying the tide of the sea quenched by our humanity. The shadows sustained by the light, sometimes crashing against shores, others cooling our toes, occasionally rising like sea foam. Thank you. I really enjoy listening to you read your work. And I'm wondering, do you think a poem should be read aloud? or experience silently on the page? I think both have benefit because sometimes reading poetry can feel like a very intimate and personal experience. When I'm reading poetry from a book, it, it does have that intimacy. So, and I feel everything I'm supposed to feel in that poem just by reading it silently to myself. But then I think I also enjoy hearing poetry read aloud and certainly by the poets who write it because then you get the sense of delivery of how they want how they wanted that poem to be received mm. 
what's the best thing someone has said about one of your poems? Gosh, what is the best thing somebody has said uh, about my poem? That they felt that it offered a very astute and shrewd look at life, but with a beating pulse. So, <laughs> so I like that compliment. It's very nice. So conversely, <laughs> what's the worst thing someone has said about one of your poems? Gosh, I don't think I've ever heard anything bad about it. So uh, uh, would I've been spared any bad feedback so far. Please share some more of your work. Would you like something from the book or so? Or maybe one of my newer pieces. Hey, one of your newer pieces. That'd be fantastic. Well, I'm I'll share a poem that I've submitted to a poetry competition, which was a kind of homage to um, T.S. Eliot. Here we go. And just to give a little bit of a reference to this poem was that this was a female response to the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. After Alfred, the response, a response to the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. This is how we stay, you and I, when the dying sun bleeds into the sky. Amongst your rainbow organized clutter, amber air filtering through the shutters, murmured discourse across the coffee table as voices tenderly cosset like silken sable, romanced by the rapture that so easily enthralls our flirty festival, death to the imam's cause, the grandiosity of Moroccan zulays. So befitting the moment, colourfully beaming, proudly without encroachment, darkness sifting into the room, a tagine ashtray with smoky plumes. In the Casper, women stop and chat, talking of victory in the World Cup, strolling through the scattered stores of the sorks, the dust nustled before nestling on our skin the musk and kufta-infused air that our clothes drink in, the charmer and the serpent charmed by the flute, down dehydrated alleys and lumpy footpaths who silently sigh imperialist epitaphs, the sunny fingers who poke through the arches, rubbing against our faces as she teasingly arches. Surely there is not enough time for the eternal soul to fully express the elation that rebukes the world's transgression. There is not enough time clawing at our arms and bearing its hand. The ebbing humanity that lingers in turn as we scuttled into the acrid alcoves where the air whispered of olive groves. There is never enough time to consume all the joy Faceless forces whose gluttony only destroys. Time to put the world to rights over Ete, to stretch it across time and space, to stay. In the Casper, women stop and chat, talking of victory in the World Cup. There is not enough time to consider and reconsider the future spans, to reprimand the existence that felt like a sham. To wonder when the crows 
first landed on the corner of the eye, to recall the boastful fool, too frightened to challenge culture. Tittering tongues, it is such a shame, what a wasted life, their pitying stares feigning care, stabbing like a knife. See how the color drains from my cheeks and hair. I was once beautiful, my securities keeping me unaware. If I breathed you in and held my breath, could we stay, you and I, in eternity's depth? I have known the men who sexted and courted, acquainted with overfamiliarity of breaking wind and poking orifices, the romance long since dimmed, the holidays and cheap hotel rooms where I faked love to fill the gloom, faded cigarette smoke and designer perfume. They will say, at a slash, I too am familiar with them all, the rampant looking for a booty call, the Thai restaurants with lemongrass walls, the sexual role play that disguises ennui, the TV flashing an old childhood matinee. Should I flinch at the judgment of your double standards, scouring my sullied skin to wash away the hands? I have felt the hand that pinned my arms above my head, its fingers calloused like fat sausages, the invented drama that attempts to assuage, the restlessness that fuels rendezvous in car back seats, the coarse stubble that pours at your cheeks, Chanel blue on your t-shirt, and I forget. What was I saying? I served myself bare. Are you shocked yet? When we were seated on the wall above the sea, the ocean dressed in a veil of encrusted diamonds before the light shimmied into the ebony horizon. I should have accosted Father Time, cursed him for not granting more time. How the snow outside settles so comfortably, its arctic breaths drifting in with the draught, presenting merriment, bringing chaos. Frosty, rabid jaws that chill to the bone, pushing into our sensory nerves as we sit numbly, seeing your mass message flash up on the phone. Your warmth surrounds me, and I berate myself silently. This is not me. I scoff at love and the impossible reality sold. Am I a realist or a cynic? Maybe I am just too old. You knew I was afraid. I was terrified. After beef tagine and Moroccan fruit salad, after roll-ups and hot drooling ate, the selfishly stopped the seconds to say, let us stay this way forever and a day. To tame the white noise with your fairy ballad, to balance on that flicker, curtling, through the infinite universe, behind a devoured mother earth, to embrace that ecstasy in my pulse, to say, I am Aphrodite, here to engulf, my raging tides dissolve the gulf. Cliche, age mockingly snickers, 
amongst the dyed paintbrushes and unfinished tableau, the water in the jar tinged with plum, the way your hand, the way you always place your hand behind your back, as the other moves across the canvas like a bird in flight, simultaneously awed and struck dumb. You are somewhere else in the contours, only an artist knows. Glimpses of joy and sorrow in a coat of many colours, where we spoke only in the tongue of our mother, our clothes tossed on the floor, the eyes who lap up and store, a catalogue of mannerisms to recall. I pleaded with time to mercifully stall. Christmas looms and festivity finds no place in my will. Maybe the frenzied buying and gluttonous eating will obliviously pass me by if I just sit really still. The goodwill to all men, as indelible as the greetings, the artificial tree still banished under the stairs, seems to goad me for my slovenly lack of care, haunting me with descent into old age. I'm so tired and all out of rage. Should I fritter away my pittance on age-defying creams, popping silicone, eating superfoods and drinking green tea? I dismay at my wearied and sagging eyes, the way my breasts no longer shun gravity, time's unrelenting harsh reality. He does not wait for me. Walking along the beach, our steps tickling the tide, my black dress is hemmed, dusted in the salt of the sea, me in a straw hat and the sun in our eyes. I would spend it all, gobble it all, night and day, wildly laughing in the face of advancing grey, if I thought it would keep us. Whatever. Thank you. Beautiful piece. Thank you. What do you think your work conveys about being human? Probably that it's okay not to be perfect. Cut yourself some slack. Kinder to yourself. <laughs> that was beautiful. Tell me more about cutting yourself some slack. Because I, I've certainly found this with myself that I am probably oftentimes my own worst critic, and and I think it's just about when you start to understand your thoughts and your emotions better, you realize just how unkind you've been to yourself, and you start learning be kinder to yourself and to celebrate the victories rather than focus on the defeat. All right. Now, if you were a poet doing a different era, <laughs> when, where would you want to exist? Oh my gosh, when in a different era? Maybe the beatnik area. I love the beatniks and um, civil rights movement. Some amazing sort of poets emerged from that period. Yes, very much. I agree. Neymar, do you think poetry is still relevant in today's society? Why or why not? 
Oh, absolutely, it's relevant. I will give you an example. Things that document human history, often done in the press, if it's a newspaper article or you're watching a news bulletin, and they will give you basics, names, places, dates, what the event was and so forth. But what poetry does, poetry offers an emotional narrative of a certain period in time. So what it does is it enables the writer to live in that period, to feel that period. So if your poetry, or if poetry in general was banned tomorrow, what would you do instead to express yourself creatively? Oh my goodness. Well, I certainly couldn't be an artist because I'm a terrible drawer and, so that, and I'm a terrible singer. So I don't know, maybe looking at writing, and uh, I am at the moment writing a novel. So yeah, maybe I would, because I am working on a novel at the moment as well. So maybe that would be my other outlet. What is your poetic muse? Gosh, what is my poetic muse? It varies. I have had lovers who uh, turned out to be muses and I love that time with them because just like tapped into something in me and it just released so much creat creativity. I, I felt like I was writing 24 seven. <laughs> and even though the affair itself may not have had longevity, you know, it gifted me so much material and I'm always grateful for that. And there are other things like, it could be a world event or it could be a moment like there is a moment in my book which describes an experience I experienced with my son. I was probably going through a very dark period with my depression and then I was with my son in the living room and we started talking but you know just out of thin air we just both started we just got the giggles and we just both started laughing and laughing until there were tears in our eyes. It was a beautiful moment and I think and I was inspired to write a poem by that. It can be different things that kind of trigger it. We've reached my favorite part of the episode. It's a mini poetry concert. This is an opportunity for you, Nama, to read two, three of your works. Uninterrupted, no questions from me, back to back. This stage is yours. Mapping the void. It is strange that one should feel so empty when the anatomy is stacked with life-enabling components. Where does one find the emptiness? Does it reside in the chambers of the heart, expanding with every slight until the seams tear apart? Maybe in the lungs, asphyxiating the bronchioles, squeezing out breaths as you gasp and wheeze. Perhaps in the mind, laying waste to the limbic nodes, extinguishing sparks of hope as you wade through the dark, where emptiness finds a home, a thirsty drop trickling into the briny, deep swaying tide of the sea quenched by our humanity, the shadows 
sustained by the light, sometimes crashing against shores, others cooling our toes, occasionally rising like sea foam. The bat and the ball, waiting to be picked, the popularity prefect bringing relief or dread. If you're from somewhere else, you won't be chosen unless you can help them win. My chances are slim. I'm nobody's first pick. The eyes that replay, the intolerance served at home. Hattie will choose me. She's a shoo-in. Putting all her power behind the bat. The ball's breaking impact as it soars high above their heads, light as air. Hattie says, we've got to have each other's back. We're all foreigners here. Occasionally accepted as friends until anger brings the bad words. Reserved for the brown hordes. Inspired by the angry man on TV. Canned laughter. Key, key, key. She says, Bunda, take no crap. We are people too. Dangling acceptance. The playground power plays that stalked the days. The face of imperialism mirrored in the shallow pool of childhood schisms. Hattie. A rapid dark streak bolting towards fourth base. The bats from strong trunks, winning for endurance. Round trip. Bowie on the radio with the young Americans. The children of Woodstock dancing to glam rock. The new kids on the block here to hamper the old guard's plan. The children of the revolution flipping over tables emerging out of the sable of the shadow of war and the values of yore with tie-dyed solutions. A jubilant generation X born into free love and contraception consciously tripping on introspection parading placards to the apex. Now... The cat with the cream, tabling corporations, completely immersed, putting America first, free love, grubbly immoral, drugs, the sin of the amoral, begrudging in marga hats, rejecting the fake facts, the tangerine new guard of the grump generation, angry anarchist to judge, once believing and idealistic, now disbelieving and realistic. Their booze noses purple as they come full circle, disillusioned and resentful, conservative and fundamental, spewing sanctimonious scorn. Where have all our heroes gone? Nursing a grey, diseased grudge. An ill wind of blustery blather, rolls over the matters that matter. The obedient old Americans silencing the young Americans. What did you learn about yourself writing COVID, the wordy walls of a mind under lockdown, or just 
in general. I learned that I'm more capable than I believed I was. If you told me uh, two years ago that I would be published and performing my work to an audience, I, I would have thought that you were crazy. But I think I also learned to work through my emotions rather than try to avoid them. I learned how to confront them, dissect them, and glean the message from the chaos. Wow, very nice. You're an incredible poet. Incredible. Where Thank do you. you go from here? What's next for you creatively? Creatively, I'm currently submitting my second manuscript to publishers and I'm editing my third collection. Where can we purchase your book? My book is available to buy at Micah Press, my publisher's website, but also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Waterstones, and all good poetry retailers. Here's one final question. Where do you think poetry is headed in the future? It's, it's probably going to occupy the same place that it always has for humanity in that it, it is the beautifully artistic expression of the human experience. Thank you. And as I share with the audience every week, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.